Amen. So today, we're going to start a brand new series called Hashtag Struggles. Anybody, just show of hands, how many know what a hashtag is? Um, if you don't know what a hashtag, you need to wake up, okay? Um, if you don't know what a hashtag is, I used to be able to say this about five years ago um, when I was preaching and Jennings and stuff like that. Um, I would get up and I would say something along the lines of like, how many of you guys have a Facebook in here? And people would, some people would raise their hand and other people wouldn't. Like, I don't say that anymore. Like, everybody and their mom and their grandmother has a Facebook. And your grandmother's probably on Facebook and you're probably going, why, God, why is she on Facebook? Um, but Everybody has a Facebook today. Everybody's familiar with social media. It's probably how you get your news. It's probably how you stay up to date with people. Social media has literally taken over the world. And um, so what I want to do today derives from um, some things that I think that happens from social media. So what we're going to do all throughout this series is talk about five things, and I'm sure there's many, many other ones, but five probably very popular things that all of us just really struggle with. Show of hands in here this morning, how many of you guys have ever just struggled with something? Any, okay, everybody, um, every foot, every hand, every finger is raised. Um, but the thing that I want to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the struggle of discontentment. The struggle of just really never having enough. The struggle of, man, when you see something on social media, you look at it and you say, well, my life is just not as exciting as theirs. Um, Some people believe that today that discontentment is one of the primary reasons that we struggle with pretty much everything else. And I think that social media, what it has done is it feeds into that. One pastor put it this way. He said, we're comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. So everybody on social media, when you post a picture, it's always your best moment, right? So when you finally go to that restaurant that you've been waiting to go for for a long time, what do you do? You snap a picture of your food. And to be quite honest with you, people are tired of seeing your food on social media, okay? Um, so, but we put our highlight reels, like when we're at this restaurant, when we're at the football game, when we had a celebratory moment in our life, and nobody posts their behind-the-scenes reels. Like if you're a single mom, you're not posting a picture or a post that says, listen, I've been at home for five days with five kids running around. I haven't put my hair up since 2009, and I've been rocking the ponytail since 2007, and I haven't gotten out of the house, right? Nobody puts those moments. So I think what happens is, so let's take it this way. If you are um, a stay-at-home mom or you're a working mom, if you get on social media, you really have two different perspectives, right? If you're a working mom, you look at the stay-at-home mom, and you're like, man, her family is just so perfect. She Pinterests everything. She cooks every single night. She has time with her kids and structured, organized time, and they just read the Bible together, and they have a perfect life with their perfect family, and I hate her, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then the working mom is probably like, man, you know what? I just would love to stay home with my kids. I would just love to not work. I would just love to not have to go to work and have to answer to a boss anymore. And I haven't been out in public for a long time and all this. I just want to get out. And what social media does is it feeds into this idea of what you have or the situation that you're currently in right now is not enough. It's not enough. I've used this example over and over, but Apple is really, really good at this, right? So when they release a phone and you thought that you just got the latest and greatest Apple product, you're like, man, this is awesome. I just got the new iPhone 6 Plus. And then like 
three weeks later, they're like, gotcha, 6S with the 3D touchscreen. And then like two weeks later, they're like hologram phone that's like poking out. And you're like, everything that you have is never enough. Culture is constantly telling us that what you have and what you've accomplished and what you've done, it's not enough. And so we leave ourselves in this perpetual discontentment over and over. And I think one of the biggest things, not not only social media that feeds into this discontentment in our own souls, is the sin of comparison. We look at other people's lives and say, if I could only have that, or if I could have that job, or that promotion, or that kind of family, if I could stay home with my kids, or if I could just get out of the house and go to work, then you know what? I would be content. I would be happy. But here's the truth. The more we compare ourselves to others, the less satisfied we are. The more we compare ourselves to others, the less satisfied we are. And comparison is the enemy that robs any true contentment in our lives. If you were to be real honest with yourselves this morning, and you were to take an internal look in your heart, and you begin to kind of internalize some issues and some things that you struggle with and some things that you go through, you could probably highlight some things real quick in your own life that you're just discontent with. And here's the thing. Every single Sunday, if you come in here, you listen to a sermon, and you just barely internalize it, and you walk out of these doors, everything that we talk about in the morning is going to be absolutely for nothing. So here's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. I'm going to bring up some different topics and some different areas where we all find some discontentment in. And I don't want you to just shake your head and say, yeah, that's good, or yeah, I can apply that. I want you to really ask yourself some deep questions. Is that me? Am I in this place right now? And if I am, then God, please help me. Please help me. I believe that the, most, the root of most of our discontentment today can be traced back to our addiction to social media. I don't know if you know this, but sociologists have actually done some research, and they have found that um, when you get likes on your post, it actually releases endorphins. Like the same kind of endorphins, like when you would go run a race, or when you would uh, get that promotion at that job, and you're so excited. When you get that like, it is like this rush of approval. I have posted something, and now people are approving of what I am saying. They actually did a study at two college universities, and they had students spend half an hour on Facebook. So they just gave them some phones, some tablets, and said, listen, we want you to spend half an hour on Facebook. And after you're done just scrolling through Facebook, what they did is they graded how they felt about themselves. How they felt about themselves 30 minutes later, and one-third of the students felt significantly depressed, citing envy as the number one emotion that they felt. So they, just 30 minutes of getting on Facebook, the sin of envy just came up and it welled up with inside them. You know what I'm talking about? You see, you scroll on Facebook and you're like, oh my God, she's on the second vacation this year and I haven't taken a vacation in like five years, right? And so this sin of envy, you begin to scroll and you begin to do these things and discontentment begins to set in. So here's what I want to do. I want to highlight three things, and and there's probably more, but I think that these are some of the big ones. Some of the areas that the enemy uses to tell you what you have and what God's blessed you with right now is not enough and you need more. So the first one is this. I think the first area of discontentment that the enemy plays into is material and financial discontentment. 
material and financial discontentment. So I'm going to just use social media as an example throughout this, uh, throughout this sermon. So it kind of can go something like this. Maybe he or she posts a picture of their brand new car, and you're looking at your 2001 Toyota 4Runner. True story, that's my car. <laughs> and you're looking at yours and going, oh my gosh, like I haven't been able to buy a new car in 10 years, and he or she just bought this new car. And the sin of envy begins to pour in. Or maybe she posts a picture of brownies on her Facebook, right? And the truth is, you're not looking at her brownies. You're looking at her cute little kitchen countertops. And you're looking at those knobs on her cabinet, and you're saying, I never had those knobs. I got paneling on my kitchen wall with these old cabinets falling down. And she's got granite. How can she have granite? I know what kind of job she has. She's, on, she's working on the government. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Um, all these things. You see, so you look at all this, and you're not looking at brownies, right? You're looking at her, I don't know why I said that, I'm so sorry if that was offensive to anyone in here. It just happens sometimes, forgive me. I'm sure I'm going to listen to sermons from like a year ago and be like, oh my God, Zach, what were you doing? So if I say anything, look, I'm only human, don't judge me, all right? Um, How about this though, have you ever been on social media? And does social media ever make you ask this question to yourself, I wish I had that? Or you have that thought, you're scrolling through, and you're like, I wish I could live in their life. Like, if we could just trade lives, or if I just had that kitchen, if I just had that house, it's these materialistic things that begin to play in. And you say, what I have, what God's given me, what God's blessed me with is not enough. But, fill in the blank, if I could get this, if I could have this, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. Or maybe your friends go to the beach again, and you can't even make it to the lake, right? They go again, and you see that post on Facebook, and all of this makes us materialistic and financially discontent. So would you be real honest with yourselves this morning? Has this ever been you? Just show of hands. Has this ever been you? I want you to look around the room. This is pretty much every single person in here. The enemy has used materialism and finances to be something that drives this discontent into your soul. The second thing that he uses is relational discontent. Relational discontent. So maybe I'm using the the example of social media again. So maybe you see a picture online and you see all your friends out at this restaurant and you're like, wait, wait, they're all there and I'm here in my pajamas watching Netflix. Why am I not there having fun? Who didn't invite me? And you have this relational discontent that begins to set in and you ask yourself the question, okay, why was I left out again? Did they forget about me? Are they not thinking about me? Or maybe you're not married, maybe you're single and all of your friends are married, and you're like, man, if I could just be married, then I would absolutely be happy. Or maybe, um, maybe you see a family that is, where the dad is home on the weekends, and he's home after five o'clock, and you're busting your tail just to put food on the table, and you begin to envy their situation of like, man, I wish I didn't have to work so hard, and I wish I didn't have to go through all this effort just to make ends meet when you have another couple who's just, you know, doing what they need to do to get by, and they're better off than I am, and you begin to put yourself in that position. If I could just be there, then I would be content. 
Or maybe you see the relational intimacy that other people have and you say, man, I'm never going to be able to have that. Have you ever done this? Maybe you sit down at a restaurant with your spouse if you're married in here and then you look at the couple over at the next table and you're like, oh my God, they're like so much more in love than we are. Like, did you see, like, the way he looks at her, like, he, my husband never looks at me like that unless he wants food or something. <laughs> or maybe you begin to internalize, man, they're just so lovey-dovey, they're just so touchy-feely. I bet they never argue. I bet they never argue. I bet everything in their life is just perfect. If you were to be real honest with yourself, has this ever been you? This morning, show of hands, has this ever been you? Most of you in here. The third thing the enemy uses to drive discontent into our soul is circumstantial discontentment. Circumstantial discontentment, meaning you're looking at your life and you're comparing it to someone else's and you're thinking, I wish I was where they were. So maybe you're 40 years old, maybe you're 29 years old, maybe you're 50 years old, and you look at other people's lives and you say, you know what, I haven't accomplished as much as they have. How come they're 40 years old and they've accomplished all this and man, I'm 40 years old and I'm barely getting on my feet right now. Or maybe you're a young man and you're in your 20s and and you're saying, man, I see all these other guys who are in their 20s that are accomplishing all these things and they have successful jobs and they're married and they have kids and I'm over here batching it, living single, just trying to make ends meet. And so there is this circumstantial discontent that begins to set in. Or maybe you're in here and maybe you're on social media and like for the 14th time this week you've seen like the gender reveal thing on Facebook, right? And maybe you're in here and you're going, man, somebody else is finally revealing that they're having another baby and you're a woman in here saying, I just wish I could have a baby. I just wish I could get pregnant. I just wish that this could happen. And you begin to put yourself in this situation if only... I could be like this if I could have this life, if I could do this. Do you see where this is going? Begin to look at your life and you begin to say, what I have, what I've done, what God's blessed me with, and the the blessing and the provision that God's given me, it's not enough. If I'm being real honest, since we're being honest this morning, and if I'm being real honest, this is what I fall into sometimes. It's what I fall into sometimes, this just circumstantial discontentment. And I fell into it maybe um, a few months ago where, you know, starting a church is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And and as a pastor, um, you don't really have this like time clock that you clock in at nine in the morning and then you clock out at five o'clock. And so sometimes when life would just get busy and listen, I'm not saying this in any kind of way, like I love what I do. Okay, I absolutely love you guys. I love this church. I love the people in it, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But just like everybody else, I still wrestle with my own things, and I think it was a few weeks ago where it was just really, really busy. You know, the, the, the kind of busy, like when your wife's trying to talk to you and your phone keeps going off and you're texting and you're, men, you're trying to pay attention to her and you're like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. and you respond and you say yes and you don't realize it, but you just said yes for your wife to go buy like a huge on a huge shopping spree, and you're like, oh my God, what just happened? Claire never does that, by the way. But I was really, I wasn't, I was home, but I wasn't really there. I wasn't really present. And so my mind began to drift into circumstantial. Man, if, if things could just slow down, if things could just be easier right now, I would be happier. I would be better connected with Jesus. My family would be happier, all these things. And I begin to place myself in a different position. Man, it'd be so much easier just to have a nine to five job. 
It'd be so much easier just to live this way. And, and the truth is what begins to happen when we allow circumstantial discontent to set in, we begin to step outside of the calling that God's placed us in. We begin to look at other people's lives and say, oh, that would be nice. Without realizing that the very thing that you're doing right now is what God has for you. Here's the truth. Life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. But I think it, for most of us, it's flipped, right? For, for most of us, we live as if 90% of what happens to us, and really we don't have much power in our response. We don't have much power in our response. You know, the Apostle Paul was a master at responding in difficult situations and even joyous situations. And so I want to read a scripture to you. If you have a Bible, and Philipp, uh, you can turn to Philippians 4. Uh, if you don't have one, it'll be on the screen. But in Philippians 4, verse 12, before I read this, let me kind of set the context up. Because the very first passage that I'm about to read is not as popular. The second half of it, everybody knows it. Because this verse is plastered on coffee mugs around America and Christian t-shirts. Okay, It's absolutely everywhere. But most people don't know the context of this verse. And uh, I I believe you cannot read this verse without really understanding the context. Because when you understand the context, you understand how powerful this really is. So let me give it to you. As Paul is writing this letter, as he is writing this text, he is in prison, he is under house arrest, and he is chained to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day. If anybody had any justification of why they should feel discontent or sad about their life, it was him. Okay, he was just, he had been beat down everywhere he tried to go. People were chasing him and they were trying to throw him in prison. They were trying to boil him alive. They were trying to beat him. They were trying to do all these things to him. And he's sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard. He's not on a beach drinking some little drink with the umbrella in it. Okay, he's just not there. Life is not good right now for him. And then he writes this verse in Philippians 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Now listen to this. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, I have learned the secret in calm seas or stormy seas. I've learned the secret that no matter how life is, no matter what I see on social media, no matter how my relationships are going, how my finances are going, what I possess, how any of that, whatever my circumstances are like, I have learned the secret to be content. So what is the secret? Now this is the verse that we all know, right? But I bet you did not know that this verse really comes from an extreme just contentment, this satisfaction that he finds from Jesus. What is it? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength because he's content in any and every situation. So here's the truth this morning. I know this is very simplistic. If you want genuine, authentic contentment in your life, it can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found in Jesus. And listen, it's not going to be and looking at somebody else's life and saying, I wish I could have what they had. And if I just had that, here's the truth. If you took what they had, and maybe some of you, you get it. What happens again? That emptiness sets in, okay, I got it. Now what? (laughs) 
I got the possession that I wanted. I got the car. I got the house. I got the relationship. I got the kids. I got the baby. I got all this stuff, and I'm still empty inside. The secret to contentment is found in Jesus, and here's the truth. Until Christ is all you have, you'll never recognize that Christ is all you need. Until Christ is all that you have, you will never recognize that Christ is all you need. Because this world is constantly selling us this bill of goods. You can't be happy until you have this, and you have this, and you have this, and you have that. You won't find the power to contentment in anything outside of Jesus. And the truth is, sometimes we have to strip everything away from us to realize that true contentment, true joy is only going to be found in Christ. And here's the truth. You can search, you can search, and you can search. And you can get all the likes and all the shares and all the approval from men and women that you want, but it still will not be enough if you are not finding approval in your heavenly Father. Listen, somebody can tell you you did a good job every day of your life on the dot of every single hour, and it will still not be enough to fill the empty void that you have in your soul. Until Christ is all that you need, you'll always battle with the enemy of discontentment, and envy will rule your heart. It will rule your heart. So here's what Paul says, I can have a lot, or I can be in a Roman prison, but if I have Christ, I'm content. (laughs) I can have anything that I want, or I can have nothing at all. And it does not matter. If I have Jesus, that's enough for me. So today I want to talk about two things that we need Christ's strength to be able to do to find genuine contentment. Okay? Number one, if we're going to have any kind of contentment in this life, if we're going to wrap our contentment in Jesus, then we, number one, we have to kill comparisons. We have to stop playing the comparison game. You look at other people, man, if I could lose as much weight as she did, or if I could have the job that he did, or if I could have the money that he did, or if I could do this, if I could have this many kids, if I could have the well-behaved kids like they did, then I'll be content. No, you won't. Listen, I've been down this road before, and I've, asked, I, I've, I've had opportunities where I've made money and opportunities where I haven't made much money at all, and guess what? I still have to deal with Zachary McCann. I still have to deal with the emptiness in here that if I do not find it and wrap it up in Jesus, no matter how much money I make or how much money I don't make, I'm still not going to be happy. And the same goes for you. We've got to learn to kill comparisons. Listen to what Corinthians 10.12 says. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. So don't compare yourself with someone that speaks very highly of themselves, okay? Because they're probably just comparing themselves to someone else. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Meaning this, there's no win in comparisons. There's no win in comparisons because here's the deal. Anybody ever do this? Like you have a neighbor, maybe you have a neighbor, maybe you have a friend, maybe you have an aunt, maybe you have an uncle. And you judge your life based on, well, hey, look, Uncle, Uncle Dave, man, that dude, he's bad off, man. He's just like, he is awful. And as long as my life is not as bad as Uncle Dave, I'm good. I'm good. And here's the thing. The, if you are comparing yourself and your spirituality and your relationship with Jesus based on someone lower than you, you can always find that. 
You can always find that. And here's our measuring stick. It's not people, it's Jesus. It's not people, it's Jesus. I remember the first time that I was crushed by comparisons. And it was at a very early age. It was Christmas morning. I was about five, six years old. And at the time, it was just me, my brother Andrew, and my brother Matt was a small baby. And so we wake up Christmas morning, and the way that my parents always did Christmas is they would not put any presents under the tree until Christmas morning. Okay, so it was always like Christmas morning, you'd run out and you'd see all these presents everywhere. And I remember as a kid, it doesn't matter. Like nowadays, when you're a kid, you look at the biggest box and does it have my name on it, right? Does the biggest box have my name on it? And so they had these two huge boxes in the living room. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? One has my name on it, one has Andrew's name on it. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. So we tear open all our presents. We're saving the best for last. And remember, I get to mine first. And I start tearing open this present. I open it, and it's this Batman bike that I had been just waiting for. Training wheels and all, okay? Like, it was the perfect thing. And I remember Andrew, and I'm so I'm happy with it. I'm hugging my mom and dad. I'm thankful. I'm like, yes, this is a bike. I can't wait to go ride it because no other toy meant anything to me, right? And then all of a sudden, my brother Andrew tears open this box, and it is this motorized three-wheeler. And I'm like, Batman bike, motorized three-wheeler. What is wrong with you, mother? <laughs> like, motorized three-wheeler, like he's going to look way cooler than me pulling up to my friend's house in the driveway in a motorized three-wheeler, and I got a Batman bike with training wheels on it, okay? Mom, you have just ruined my neighborhood street game going on here. <laughs> like, what is going on? And so I remember it was this feeling of intense excitement opening this bike, and as soon as he opened it, it was comparison. Mine's not as good as his. Mine's not as good as his. I want his I don't like mine anymore. I mean, this gift that you got me, yeah, thanks for spending the money, but this is junk now. I want the three-wheeler. And for years, if my dad was here today, he would tell you, for years we argued and argued about this. Like every time I would try to run outside and grab the three-wheeler before Andy, I'm like, you got the Batman bike. I'm older. Suck it up, buddy. You know, like it was, that was how it was all the time. I'm still in counseling. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> But isn't that true? I know that's a silly example, but isn't that what we do when we make comparisons? God blesses you with something, and then all of a sudden somebody else gets blessed, and you say, man, that, well, God, what, I mean, what happened here? What happened to mine? I mean, you couldn't have made it a little bit nicer. You couldn't have made it a little bit bigger. And so all of a sudden we begin to see the blessings that God begins to give us in our own life, and it's not enough because we have this measuring stick of comparison. We look at it and say, what I have is not enough. So we have to learn to kill comparisons. Listen to what James 3 says about this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual. And listen to this harsh language, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here's the thing. This is why friendships are destroyed over and over and over and over again. Because all of a sudden, you have a friend that you had for a while, and then somebody else comes into the group. 
And so that friend starts getting closer to somebody else, and all of a sudden, wait, wait, we're not as close anymore, and you start making this comparison. Scripture says this, envy is demonic. It's unspiritual. It's not from heaven. We've got to learn to kill comparisons. So let's talk about some practical things. How do we do this? How do we kill comparisons practically? Because I know sometimes preachers are really good at this. They just tell you what to do, and then they don't tell you how to do it, right? So let me give you some practicals. If we're going to kill comparisons, I'm just going to give you a list, and you've got to decide which one applies to you. Some of you just need to take a break from social media because this is the thing that is feeding the sin of envy. See, what is it that is feeding the sin of envy and jealousy and comparison in your life? And here's the truth. If it is social media, give it up for a season. If you can't get on and be like, man, gosh, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. If you can't get on without doing that, then it would be beneficial for your soul to stop for a season. Maybe you might need to hide a certain person on your feed. <laughs> that person that is just always negative about everything or that person that just, man, lives this lavish lifestyle and so every time you see it, you're just like, oh God, and you pass it up real quick. Hide them. <laughs> Maybe some of you just need to stop ordering certain catalogs that come to your house and you open it up and it just looks like this perfect family with this perfect meal and you're like, we never have that. We're eating macaroni, you know? <laughs> Maybe some of you need to get on your phone right now. Maybe delete some shopping apps. Maybe some of you need to unsubscribe to some emails. The emails that are kind of like 50% off, 20% off, buy one, get one free. That's always a joke anyway, <laughs> Right? Maybe some of you need to stop watching HGTV. Because <laughs> here's the deal. There is no way that you cannot sin when you watch HGTV. Because you look at that amazing vacation or amazing house, and then you look back at your little pathetic shack, right? <laughs> or you look at this awesome vacation, and then you realize and remember you live in Louisiana, and we vacation at Ollie Beach, right? <laughs> God, why Louisiana? Please. Black sand. and Some of you men, maybe you need to stop going to the boat shows, the car shows, the hunting shows, whatever show. Because you can walk in, and here's the crazy thing with comparison. Man, you can walk into a Bass Pro Shop, you can walk into Academy, and you are totally fine. Like, you didn't need a boat when you walked in. And then after you came out of Academy, you're like, Babe, I need a boat. I'm telling you. Like, I need a boat. And it is this discontentment that begins to settle into your soul. So what are some practical things that you need to do? And I can't list out all of them. I don't know all of them, but that's why I said in the beginning, some of you genuinely need to go out of here this morning. Many of you, all of you, need to go out of here this morning and say, God, is there anything that is feeding the sin of envy in my life and comparison in my life? And if it is, then help me to see it. Open my eyes to be able to see this. And the truth is, some of you don't see it. They call it blind spots for a reason, because you can't see them, right? And so what I pray for you this morning, and even including myself, that the Holy Spirit would begin to open your eyes, and for the first time, you can see what is just driving that discontentment in your soul. You want to know another thing that casts out 
the spirit of comparison? Here it is, and this is really hard for most of us to do. Learn to celebrate somebody else's success rather than your own. So somebody else gets the job that you wanted instead of every time you see that person, you're like, I can't believe they took my job. No, you're happy for them. You celebrate with them. Somebody else has that baby that you've been dreaming about. You celebrate with them. Here's the truth. Ask yourself this question. Perhaps the reason God is not blessing you is because you're not celebrating God's blessing in someone else's life. Learn to celebrate. You know what that does? Man, that just takes all your envy, all of your discontentment, all of your pride, and it just smashes it. We've got to learn to kill comparisons and celebrate God's blessings in other people's life. Because here's the truth. It's not about us at the end, is it? It's not about us in the end. I mean, every single thing that God does, he says, hey, if you get married, then husbands, die to yourself. Wives, serve your husbands. It's not about us in the relationship, right? Man, if we're called to really be Christians, he says, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Teach them everything that I've taught you. It's not about us. Ultimately, it's about a greater cause. And you know what comparison does? It pulls you away from your destiny and your God-given passion and design. Because you're so caught up living somebody else's life that you're not living your own. You're so caught up wishing that you could be someone else and so far gone and who God really wants you to be. The second thing that we've got to learn to do. So the first thing is we've got to kill comparisons. And the second thing that we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to cultivate gratitude. We've got to learn to cultivate gratitude. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is not my quote. I don't even know who quoted it, but it's good. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. So what does this mean? This means this. When you see something good happen to someone else, you can never celebrate that you miss out that every time God is blessing you, you're so busy envying somebody else that you don't even realize God's blessing you. You're so far gone and just, I can't believe God continues to shower blessings on them. What is he doing for me? And you're missing out on all of that. We've got to learn to cultivate gratitude. I want you to listen. This is a powerful Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 15. For the discouraged, and this word could translate into uh, quite a few different things. So for the discouraged or for the discontent, for the unhappy, every day brings trouble. For the discouraged, every day brings trouble. So here's the truth. Some of you know people like this, right? (laughs) Some of you are people like this. Um, Where every single day, man, today's a bad day. It's going to rain today. I don't know if I'm going to go outside today. Oh, today's going to be a horrible day. Or, oh, man, the economy is still struggling. Like the glass is always not full, right? Everything in life is just always going wrong. Or man, my, my, I got a car, but it never really starts. And what, everything that you look at is just absolutely negative. But finish the verse. Proverbs 15, for the discouraged every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart or for the content heart, life is a continual feast. So here's what this means. The happy heart and the discouraged heart see the same day, but they both have different perspectives. So on the rainy day, 
it rains the same day. But if your perspective is completely different, if you can learn to cultivate gratitude that you're thankful for what God has given you, whether it's, whether it's a lot or it's not a lot, that you can learn to look at it and say, you know what, at least I have a roof over my head. At least I have a car. The happy heart, the content heart is always ready to see God's goodness. Is always ready to see God's goodness. The happy heart has learned the secret of contentment, that it's wrapped up and it's found in Jesus. Because here's the truth. If you want to look for bad things in this world, all you have to do is wake up in the morning and open your eyes, <laughs> right? I mean, bad things are not hard to find. But if you want to look to see God working, you can find it as well. But for some of us, our perspective has to change. We have to see our contentment is derived from Jesus, and not what we have, and not how successful we are, and not what we've accomplished. You know, in fact, one of the things that I admire about my dad, um, or the number one thing that I admire about my dad, is really his perspective on life. Um, Every time I talk to my dad, the day is going great. (laughs) Every time. Like, Dad, how's it going? And even when I call him on weeks where I know it's been a rough week for him, it's great. And I'll be honest with you, it used to bug me. Like, he used to frustrate me, like, so bad. I'm like, you're lying. <laughs> like, I know you're, today is not great. And I would call him when he was sitting in a chemo chair and, and doing uh, chemo drugs and multiple surgeries. And even after he had kids that would just ran far away from God and in jail and all this stuff. And I'm like, how's today? Great. Today's great. Today's awesome. Today's a good day. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, you're always happy. And I'll be honest with you, I have to fight this because my wife will tell you this. My nature is a pessimist. Anybody in here, just anybody like your nature is, you, you see like everybody, you have somebody walk in the room and they're like, man, this room's, yeah, they, they got a lot of people here, but it's not crowded. And you walk in the room, you're like, this place is so crowded. I think the building's going to fall down. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that's me, okay? Um, and so I have to fight this. And I think one of the reasons that I learned, is, especially when you read Proverbs 15, It wasn't that my dad's day was always going great. It was that his perspective was different. He was content in who Jesus was regardless of the circumstances. And I love what Proverbs 15, 15 says, for the happy heart, for the content content heart, it is a continual feast. See, it's all about your perspective. And the truth is it's hard to have perspective when you're so ungrateful for what God's given you. When you're always looking at life and it's not enough and what I have, I don't have enough. I don't have what they have. I don't have the skill. I don't have the smarts that they have. Enjoy what God has given you instead of longing for what you don't have. Be thankful for what God has given you instead of looking at someone else's post on Instagram and saying, I wish I had their life. Because here's the truth. You're probably saying that about them and they're probably saying that about you. (laughs) they're probably looking at your life and going, man, I wish I had their life. You're probably looking at somebody, maybe they travel a lot and maybe they get out a lot and you're saying, man, I wish I had their life. And they're probably looking at your life and just saying, man, I wish I was, had things a little bit more simplistic and I could stay home and I could be around my family and I could kiss my kids at night. They probably say the same thing about us. Enjoy what you have rather than longing for what you don't have. Listen, If you have a vehicle this morning, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. 
It doesn't matter how it runs, how it looks. If you have a working vehicle, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. Man, if you're sucking oxygen this morning, you know, there's, many of you guys know this, Pastor Josh's son, who has just a hard time breathing. Like, just breathing in oxygen because his blood vessels are constantly constricting, so he's on medicine to open them up, and so sometimes he has a hard time just breathing. Like, some of us take those things for granted, that we can just inhale air without problem. That there are people in this life that look at just the simple pleasures and the simple things that God has blessed us with and saying, man, if I could just have that. But yet we live in this society where we have this tendency to be so ungrateful for what God has given us. You know, some of us, and let me just speak very bluntly, I guess, to church people in here, which would be all of us, right? So some people, they do this, um, they do this thing, and we like to call them church hoppers, right? So they check out one church, and they stay for three weeks, and then they get offended or they get discontent or somebody says something and so they go and they try out another one and they just continue this perpetual cycle over and over and over again. And you know what that is? It's not really necessarily even uh, they got offended or whatever. It's just they're discontent. They're discontent because every place they go in, it's never good enough for them. Well, the music was too loud or they have the, the, you know, I've heard this, I I had a conversation the other day and like, yeah, Pastor Zach, I love the church, you know, but you know, it's, it's growing. What if it gets too big? I just kind of, I like the smaller feel and what happens if it grows and what happens if it gets too big? And here's the truth. As long as there are people out there that still don't know Jesus, I pray to God this church still grows. And I've had people come in here and say, well, you know, it's great, but there's just a lot of young people here. You know, the truth is, I'm so thankful that we have young people because a lot of churches around America have a hard time getting young people in the doors and young families. And so listen, you can pinpoint anything. You can go anywhere in this world and you can look at things and you can always find the negative. Church, work, business, home life, cars, possessions, you can always look at something and say, it's not enough or I'm discontent. But until you learn to cultivate gratitude and understand what God has given us and what he's blessed us with, you will always be discontent. So here's the motto. Here's the saying that I want to leave you with today. When life is good, I thank God for his blessings. And when life is not ideal, I thank God for his goodness. So when life is good, I thank God for his blessings. And when life is not ideal, I still thank God for his goodness. You know why Paul found that secret? Because he realized in hardship and in good times, it didn't matter. God was still a good God. So let me summarize what we talked about today, and I'm going to let you go. We kill comparisons because it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. We will celebrate the blessings of others and rejoice with those who rejoice. We will cultivate gratitude, worshiping God because he is worthy regardless of our circumstances in life. And so here's the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment is this. I can do all things through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gives me strength. That's the secret to contentment. He's all you need. And if you pursue him today, this morning, you pursue him with all of your heart, I am absolutely confident that you'll find true contentment and you'll find true joy. 
Listen, we live in a world where it's like, it's a marketing game. It really is. Companies know that Americans live in this perpetual state of discontentment and they make billions off of it. They make billions off of it. Man, what would it look like and how free do you think that life would be if we could look at the original design that God gave for each individual in here and you weren't comparing your life to somebody else? It wasn't like this. Many of us live our lives like this split screen TV. Well, what would they do? How would they do this? Listen, it's just widescreen, okay? God wants you to look at your life and say, God, what have you designed me to do? And how have you designed me to operate in this world? And how do you want me to love my family? How much money do you want me to spend? You've got to answer for you, not anybody else. We've got to kill comparisons and we've got to cultivate gratitude. And that spirit of discontentment would begin to wash away at the feet of Jesus.